in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Freddy's remains are discovered in an old auto salvage yard. All of his terrorizing of the children of Elm Street can be remedied by some holy water and a crucifix. Why didn't we think of this earlier? We take a deep dive into why we dream and the efficacy of group therapy. John, we watched Freddy Krueger Part 3. Freddy Krueger Part 3. It's actually called Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. In fact, let me just get into it right away on this. I was reflecting on our experiences up until this point. I think that with Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1, we swung, we hit the ball, we got a piece of it. It was more like a ball, maybe a foul ball, let's say, but not a bad attempt. With the second one, I think we struck out. You mean in our, in our analysis and our appreciation? How, how did we strike out? Well, I think we got a strike. Let's say that. You know, I'm. Well, that doesn't uh, answer my question. How did this baseball analogy? Uh, yeah, on? I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> With the first one, it felt like in the theme, the interpretation is such that Freddy Krueger was anxiety that creeps into your life and keeps you from doing the things that you'd like to do. This is a future-oriented deterrent. Anxiety is. And so Freddy Krueger, the only way that you could defeat him was he would take your power and then through that power prevent you from doing things. This is the interpretation. I don't know if that hits with a point of accuracy in your review of it. I don't remember what the hell we said about that movie. All right. Well, you say Freddy, Freddy is anxiety personified. I can, I can understand that. Part two we kind of talked about the movie and we did mention that there were some, maybe some homosexual undertones to it in review and from the writer's mouth himself, he said he wrote it with that intention. And so there's a interpretation or really a intentionality as it is where Freddy Krueger is homosexual impulses. And the only way that he can be cured or this can be cured is through the, the love of a female. And that's how Freddy Krueger was exercised out of the body. He was the homosexual interests or tendencies. And then through his girlfriend and the love of his girlfriend, then he didn't have these impulses anymore. Freddy Krueger left. Okay. And I feel like we kind of missed that. And there were suggestions, but I think maybe in the current age, the modern age, that the flexibility one might have as it relates to sexual interests or or things like that maybe didn't hit as with as much obviousness or our sensitivity to that may be diluted just because it's become such a common and uh, accepted part of human nature so we we struck out on the freddie is the badness of homosexual relationships because so much has changed since the 1980s in terms of accepting homosexuality? That's my guess, or we just totally missed it. This is the thread here. Freddy Krueger is homosexual impulses. The only way you can rid homosexual impulses, this sort of archaic idea, well, the love of a woman, that's the solution. So part three, here we are. And uh, I'm looking at the picture. He's about to throw a ball. Are we going to hit it? So so we, we struck out. With the uh, with Freddy two and with Freddy one, we maybe foul tipped it. That's right. And, you know, struck out. We we got a strike. You know, what I'm saying there's there's a series of balls being thrown here. We're still at the plate. Okay, so it's one at bat. 
So it's, right. it's, it's one and one, basically. The pitcher right in front of us. I can hear the catcher behind us, you know, but are, so are we going to... We're both at the plate. We're both... <laughs> yeah, we're both at the plate. Each of us has, oh. has baseball bats, and uh, but there's only one ball. The rules have changed, but in relation to part three, interpretation, any uh, thread of consideration as to what this movie is trying to say about individuals or who Freddy Krueger is or these types of considerations? Well, before I sort of challenge your, your proposition, your starting point, I, don't, I, I defend what we said and the interpretations that we made. We can go into our old discussion about whether the intentions of the artist matter at all. Just because the writer said X, Y, Z doesn't mean we have to interpret it that way. I, I think you've yourself have advanced that argument. Yeah. And I would agree for part one, because I don't know of any common understanding or a writer coming out and saying this is Wes Craven didn't say this is his intention. At least I didn't hear. It. And it's true. Part two, there is an interpretive element for every audience member and whatever he or she arrives at is their own interpretation, neither better or worse than the next. But, you know, there is a, a message that may be intentionally communicated that I think that we didn't quite pick up on, which is fine. Maybe it's more that the writer didn't articulate it well enough for us to hear. I, I would frame it that way. And so it, it, over on my side of the plate, at least, uh, it's it's three balls, no strikes. I'm, I'm ahead in the set bat. Wow. Maybe, maybe wow. over on your side, it's at though and two. I see what you're saying. But all ball, we haven't, we haven't even seen two movies. We already got three <laughs> balls. <laughs> but, you know, you still haven't gotten on base. This is a problem. <laughs> um, so this movie, just I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I feel like this movie was different because there was there was a medical a medical setting, a psychiatric ward. Mm -hmm. And so uh, whatever Freddie means in this movie, there's a holistic element to it. Like he he. These kids are all still from Elm Street. Their their parents are the ones who did Freddie in. And so it's kind of the same motivation on Freddie's side as before. Mm -hmm. However, the way he manifests for each of these kids in the dream state seems to capitalize one of their fears or one of their weaknesses. For example, the young man in the wheelchair, his dream involves a, a long hallway with a with a sort of wheelchair from hell with spikes and flames on it and stuff. I don't remember exactly. And, and the, the, the young lady who was a former drug user, Freddie manifests as a, as a drug dealer, someone encouraging her to take drugs. So there's a, there's a personalized element to the way Freddie manifests, um, which I thought was interesting and unique maybe to this movie. So Freddie here, not anxiety, not homosexual, impulses but rather each individual psychiatric patient's worst fear hmm. it's definitely customized i would say that yeah i have one my thoughts were as such that this movie freddy krueger was manifesting in a historical element anxiety in the first one being that anxiety is something in the future anxiety only manifests in a way in which one's approaching something that they're concerned about certain uncertainty certain difficulty which then generates anxiety anxiety doesn't manifest in a historical context i'm thinking this movie is on a history kind of viewpoint that mm. you're weighed down by uh, an experience you had or or some some sort of mental illness could be a thought of as 
something that you inherited. It also could be some experience you had, which is keeping you from moving into a potential future. So Freddy Krueger is this historical haunt and they need to lay those bones to rest mm. so that they they can get into the future that they that they want to get into the the potential that they're working to the the superstar the athlete the the person who is sober you know this potential future is what they want but they can't find that without first laying those bones to rest that makes a lot of sense and that's how freddy krueger is killed in this movie by laying bones to rest yeah yeah in in the hallowed ground of an auto salvage yard that's where you put freddy down you know he was in the, he was in the trunk of that uh, Cadillac that he drove off in in uh, part one. I guess that was the car he owned. Is that the idea? That Cadillac made me remember the first movie at the very end of the first movie when all the everything seems fine and it's daylight and and all the kids pile into the Cadillac and go off to school. I think, but then it turns out the Cadillac is Freddy. It's like the color of his sweater and stuff. And then and then mom gets yanked to the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the same car? That yeah, intended? I think okay. that was in, that was intended to be the same car, and I I wonder if that was a car that was owned either by Freddie himself, and I guess at the at the conclusion when they've killed Freddie, they put his bones in the back of the car in the trunk, and then drove that car or, or impounded that car. I guess it wouldn't be mm-hmm. impounded, but they they took that car to the junkyard, and that's where he is. Or it was the car owned by one of the parents, and he or she then. Drove it to the, drove it to the lot and, and left it. That's a good place to leave a body, I guess. We we learn a little bit more about Freddie's biography in this movie. He he had a mom. Yeah, that's right. Who was a nun? Right. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was a she was a nun who herself was institutionalized for a time. I think she was one of the people that worked at the institution. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. So she was not institutionalized. She was a an employee and uh in this in this very psychiatric ward where the uh, victims of Freddie now are confined mm-hmm. and according to the film she was captured and kidnapped by a wing full of some of the most uh, psychotic and criminally insane inmates mm-hmm. and uh raped multiple times and Freddie the 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 child uh was the was the product of uh, those rapes right he came out of that semen soup from a horror movie perspective i i think the phrase what is that he was the he was the bastard son of a hundred maniacs or something like that hmm. in the movie but in terms of the genetics once the ovum is fertilized by the very first sperm cell right it it solidifies its defenses against further intrusion so he in fact could only be the the bastard son of one of those criminal maniacs <laughs> that's the, yeah if you look actually really close there's a there's a little parenthesis in very small type it actually explains that it's so like this is left here for some emotional impact but in fact biology suggests and clarifies that only one person can be born from uh, one sperm yeah. I, I had the footnotes, the, the biology footnotes turned on on, mm. on my uh, oh, screen, see. but they didn't, yeah. I didn't see that one. Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's a special feature. You can't be the son of a hundred criminally insane maniacs. You can only be the son of one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, how about this? Maybe there is a, a psychological component of being raped by a hundred people, which then could impact the, uh, the health of the nun and her psychiatric stability. 
which then in a sense didn't have a, a pure biological impact, but a uh, impact nonetheless. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but my question about Amanda, the, the mom, she, she, she was a nun, presumably beforehand, worked in this clinic, but waits two full movies before intervening uh, in her in her ghostly afterlife form. Why, why do you think she uh, holds off on the on the intervention for two movies? Hmm. Well, I think because she is haunting the psychiatric ward. Okay where the the most traumatic event happened and didn't realize that Freddie had reanimated and, and, and so that's where the crossroads were. That makes sense. She shows yeah. up at the, at the graveyard as well, where she was buried. Yeah. Most immediate, you know, ghosts only have so much energy, you know, mm. you should know this biology, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we, I mentioned in a previous podcast that the, the song this little song that kids sing one, two, three, mm -hmm. grab your mm -hmm. crucifix or whatever. Right. I felt that was kind of tacked on the, the Christian angle, but it, it got more development in this movie. So thematically I liked how, how that got kind of fleshed out. Oh, look, Brian likes something. That's, that's great. Yeah. I, um... well, while we're on this short topic, let me also <laughs> say that I thought the plot was much richer than, mm. than the previous two films. The, the ending, especially kind of the last third where they interwove the dream scenes of, uh, Nancy and Kristen and all the others with the scenes of the salvage yard and Freddie kind of bouncing back and forth between the dream world and the salvage yard. Uh, I thought that interweaving was very elegantly done mm. and, and it kept my attention. I also liked the claymation. There was some claymation in this film that I thought was quite good. And, and maybe we can talk about where claymation is as a, art form or a, a special effects movie neek mm, mm. the thing where freddy was that giant worm and and his head was all freddy shaped and then the the puppet scene where he manifested as one of the puppets that were hanging from the wall and then and then made a puppet of the kid who was forced to commit suicide and all all that claymation was really well done i think this is the third compliment that you've had for yeah. this movie yeah and that's the last one that's too. the last okay so that's over yeah, I, I felt like this movie was extremely brutal. Uh, you know, in thinking about dreams that one has, at one point, so, uh, I can't remember which character, but the character, I guess it's the main lead, was uh, Freddy Krueger delivered the severed head of her mother. Like, that was uh, obviously brutal, but yeah. beyond any dream I've ever had in, in relation to its brutality. Yeah, that was gory, and, and definitely this movie is gorier. But I thought the the killing of the former drug user, what was her name? Tara? Taryn? Taryn White. Yeah, where Freddy, his knives turned into needles full of drugs. Syringes, had, yeah. Syringes, yeah. And then he injected her directly into her, where she had all the scars from previous drug use on her arms and... And that, that creepy face he made as he was doing it, I thought that was disturbing. So yeah, I agree. It was a it was an edgier film than I remember the other two being. Also had Lawrence Fishbourne in it. Yeah, as Max. Mm hmm Yeah, and in the credits he's referred to as Larry Fishbourne. Mm. Maybe he's trying to distance himself from, from Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, that sounds nice, Brian. A movie that dare I say you enjoyed? I can't 
grant that. Mm. However, just uh, pointing out that uh, the mind notices differences, changes in patterns, and uh, this mind noticed a change in the pattern of uh, the, the previous two Freddy movies. What didn't change is the acting skill of mm. Nancy. Yeah. Nancy. She, I don't know. Maybe it's just open, me. She doesn't open her mouth widely enough, I think, is the main. You think it's a mouth problem? I think yes, it's an <laughs> enunciation and clarity problem. I think it's it's a stiffness. There's a there's a way in which she's not communicating emotionality, and maybe maybe that's fits well because she's been so overwhelmed by these well, experiences. But also on on a hypnosil prescription, John. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, trying to wean yeah. off personally. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you. And Patricia Arquette, I thought was a nice addition but her screaming was what felt felt monotone in a way like it was always the same level of intensity and i like the male doctor and i liked uh, larry fishburn as max and um but yeah no i i agree with you about nancy a little bit flat right so you have a, a scream preference you, you that's the the critical error is that the scream wasn't quite what you would want it was irritating the scream mm -hmm. and too consistent. First movie she was in, according to Wikipedia. Really? Did yeah. she go by Patty Arquette or Pat or, or anything like that? P-Cat? P-Park? Yeah. Um, she was in lots of movies, wasn't she? Yeah, that's right. She has been in movies. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's what we call an actress. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to demonstrate the scream you would have preferred to hear? I'm I'm worried that it'll it'll activate all of our podcast uh, filters and just not come across <laughs> in the way it should. Right, John. I, I want to talk about why we dream. Oh Jesus! Okay, I want well, to talk let's... about why we dream. Okay, can can I start with a question? Why why do you think you dream? I think that the purpose of dreaming is to solidify real events I've had in my life and interpret them in ways where I can benefit from them into the future. So it could be a event that was traumatic. It could be an event that I have concerns about, and I'm almost in a sense, role playing or, or, or playing these things out in a virtual space so that I can benefit from them in the real space, in the reality of my life, something along those lines. And by solidify, you mean put them in long-term memory? Yeah, sort of practice them out and almost desensitize myself in certain ways so that I can be better when those things actually come up in life, whether they're reimagined or exaggerations of any particular thing, it may desensitize myself to a, a fear or a concern or a potential future state. And so I'm demoing these things out. It's re-experiencing something to help with memorizing it or uh, distilling it mm -hmm. down into a experience that I, I know better now. So you see it as beneficial for future, maybe not survival, but future opt optimized behavior. Exactly. Right. That's how I see it. At least yeah, that's how that, I see it. <laughs> that makes, makes a lot of sense. And so in the, in the movie, there's a big discussion between Nancy and will the male doctor Nancy advocates that will prescribe hypnosil to, to all the young people, which is a experimental drug that prevents dreams. Apparently it's, it suppresses night terrors and 
Will initially is against prescribing hypnosil, and and I quote, he says that dream deprivation is nothing to fool around with. Mm. And um, I, I I think in your context, yeah, if you deprived yourself of dreams, you would deprive yourself of these optimization thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the case of our kids of Elm Street, I wonder uh, if he means something more healing, more. Um, psychologically healing a sort of dealing with past trauma is that is that what you have in mind or do you mean um like i'm thinking about something silly i said today and and my dream helps me to not say something silly in the future i think it could be quite a spectrum of things but yeah it's like a it's like a it's like a geyser of random things that have happened to me that i feel still need to have a level of massaging and so they come out in a <laughs> dream state. that needs massaging. <laughs> well, the, the material that comes out needs yeah. to be massaged. And in hearing what you're saying, two things that come to mind. One is that the medication that suppresses dreams, there's an idea that the reason why people have people who drink heavily daily, maybe mm-hmm. even through the entire day and then to the next day and to the next day, that they have a delirium experience. And the reason that is the case is because alcohol suppresses a dream state, suppresses the REM state, essentially. So if I don't dream, that my body will eventually have me dream while I'm awake. And mm. they'll kind of overtake my conscious mind and just start dreaming while I'm awake. And that's why you get these delusions when someone has been drinking too much. So there's kind of this underlying metaphor of dreaming needs to occur and and dreaming can be prevented in this case by alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and when when dreaming is prevented it sort of accumulates this need to dream accumulates and can even slip over so the body will 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 cause dreams to happen even when you're not sleeping right and that that also plays into the second idea i had here where it's when you're asleep you don't really recognize that what you're experiencing isn't real and there's a a viewpoint that well if i'm asleep and dreaming. And when I'm in that state, I have no ability to discern that this is not true, which has some variance to it. Cause I've definitely been in a dream where I thought, wow, this is crazy. I wonder if I'm dreaming and then start to manipulate things in the dream. And then I'm pulled out of the dream. I've never been able to sustain that experience for very long. Like once the once it's almost like once the dream state recognizes that I'm aware that I am mm. in a dream, then it pulls me out. That's that's how I've experienced it. But the, the, what I was really getting at was this idea that if I'm in a dream and I can't tell that I'm dreaming, well, if I'm in reality, I assume that to, is to be true as well. And then therefore, how can one trust their own reality? Hmm. So you, when you, so two things, you, you said that when you're in the dream and, and believing the dream, you stay in the dream. But then when you have this inkling that you are in a dream, the dream ends. That's been my experience. I don't have you. Have you had that experience? I've had that experience with. Well, I don't know. I've I've, I've had that subjective experience, like for example, falling uh, or being being in mortal danger in a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, waking up occurs seemingly at the height of the danger, at the height just before death. Mm-hmm. But I don't entirely trust that I woke up because in the dream I was alerted to the unreality of this danger that seems overly neat 
to me. Uh, rather, I would I would wonder if maybe upon waking, there's all this neural energy that my mind just assembles quickly into some sensible explanation of why I woke up, and and maybe it's not so cause and effect. Hmm. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I I wonder if and and those listeners here let us know. Like, is there a point at which you've dreamed past the point of death? And what experience has one had under those conditions? Because I also share that, Brian, where when I get killed, I wake up. And I wonder if it's because the ego discerns that it's in a, a crisis state and then alerts the system to wake up. And it's so, I don't know, it's it's so realistically perceived, much like if you're suffocating or something like that, you might get pulled out of a dream. Or it has no ability to demo out what that experience would be like. It has no ability to present a situation in which I don't exist. And then when I get to that point in time, it's like, well, I don't know what to do here. Uh, time to wake <laughs> up. I've, I've run through my, my dream state's ability to create an experience that has any level of experience that is interpretable. Mm. Wow. We really got pretty far into that, Brian. Yeah, that was a, a deep dive into why we dream and I think it's it helps helps appreciate though the situation that these characters are in because they don't want to go to sleep. They're intentionally depriving themselves of sleep, and they're terrified. There's several scenes where the doctors threaten to anesthetize them so they can sleep, and and they don't want to do it, obviously because Freddie will be uh, in their dreams, but compounded onto the fear of Freddy actually being in their dreams, this guy that's going to murder them, they're also living in whatever mental soup of, of chemicals and uncleaned up daily experiences that their sleep deprivation would, would put on top of that. I find it quite obnoxious when I'm tired because I can't get things done that I would like to get done. And if I had to live in that state for an extended period of time, it would suck. It would. Yeah. yeah, I would def definitely uh, opt in for some hypno hypnos hypnosil or hypnotol, what's it called? Hypnosil. Yeah. I've actually seen a, a hypnosis demonstrated, not like on the circus sideshows or something like that, but an actual therapeutic hypnosis. And it's pretty surprising. It uh I was pretty I was skeptical, let's say. And then after seeing it demoed out, I was like, Wow, that person was hypnotized and that experience was quite fascinating. It was the way that it's sort of phrased out is that you start a journey up a mountain, essentially, but going up the mountain has the hypnotic experience as you start to get hypnotized. And then you, then you experience psychological healing or some level of intervention when you're up the mountain. And then to get out of the hypnosis, that person is through narration, walked back down the mountain and then, and then woken up. I'm a pretty skeptical person, and so seeing that demonstrated was quite surprising. Did did the person then squawk like a chicken or bark like a dog, or is that not part of the procedure? Not this particular procedure, yeah. But it's used for, for legit psychological healing? Not having done a lot of study on it, it's essentially getting to a state in which you can access things that you've kind of suppressed and then you can access them, re-experience them, repair and reconfigure them, and then come back out of the hypnosis. It's used and a lot it, for smoking cessation. And in this movie, when there's hypnosis, group hypnosis, everybody kind of falls asleep. In in this example, a real life example, did the 
hypnotizee fall asleep or is it not a sleep state exactly? No, they were, they were not asleep. They were able to talk. They experienced extreme high levels of emotion and uh, found themselves in a uh, primitive state of adolescence, almost like a baby-like mm. state or a uh, maybe like four or five-year-old state. Do you think that in the next episode we can we can try this on each other? The hypnotic training that one takes, you have to actually become hypnotized yourself in order to uh, graduate. I wanted to mention a couple other thoughts that came to my mind. Nancy's career choice, obviously influenced by her own trauma mm-hmm. with Freddie. Mm-hmm. She goes into the into the field of sleep study. Sleep study, yeah. Yeah. Maybe as a way to, to sublimate her, her trauma, to make her trauma a career, a basis of a career, and therefore spin her traumatic experiences towards a more positive uh, outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one who has experienced such a unique event where they can use their own personal experiences to shape study is uh, pretty helpful. You know, obviously her experience was incredibly unique in that she brought Freddy Krueger out of a dream state and knocked him over the head with a sledgehammer. That's, uh, you know, that's mm. like what? One in a million? I don't know how many. Have you done that yet? Mm, I haven't. But if I did, I would definitely write a book about it at least. I think I could see you putting a lot of trip wires up. I feel like that's your approach. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like me some traps, <laughs> but at the same time, there's this mo- motif in the movie that of uh, sort of science versus religion or faith versus skepticism, and mm-hmm. and ultimately, it's not psychotherapy or uh, medicine that gets rid of Freddy. It's it's uh, holy water and, and a crucifix and sacralizing the ground of the auto salvage yard where he is laid to rest. So the the movie. What's a pretty, pretty strong, I almost said Freddy strong, a pretty strong <laughs> exclamation mark on the religious solution mm-hmm. rather than the, rather than any, it explores a lot of the, of the psychiatric attempts to help these kids, but those are largely just adding to the drama and, and the psychiatrists, uh, some of them are presented as pretty mean and pretty gaslighty. Mm. And, um, and, and then the only thing that really works is this ghostly nun and the holy water that's true yeah that's right <laughs> will, like a- will will had to hand over his he got caught stealing the crucifix and he had to hand over his driver's license to the <laughs> priest and that was that legitimated him <laughs> yeah he has to go back and pick that up and, and uh yeah and the nancy's dad is like a drunk in a, in a bar and has to come out and i guess identify what the bones are and then he gets skeleton stabbed by freddy mm. uh, you know it, it was kind of funny how freddy's in a dream state and he's like hmm, what's going on in real life and he has to like yeah. pause his encounter in the dream state to go reanimate his skeletal corpse just to stab nancy's dad and then up oh, back in it you know yeah yeah to fight with, fight with both hands so to speak mm-hmm. but i thought he did that quite well i think that my approach would be egging freddy krueger if he came out of the dream state and just Three shaming sh- yeah shaming him back into where he, he came from, you know, I throw an egg at him and then socially embarrass him. And then he would then sulk back into uh, his uh, dream world. So you, you, th- you think that Freddie is so socially, uh, social anxiety uh, ridden that <laughs> an egg would uh, banish him from? Well, he's uh, obviously making up for something with his uh, mm. sort of like posturing of 
this evil guy and, you know, scaring other people. Uh, and you know what? I'm just going to throw an egg at this guy and just sort of mm. say, hey, you're, 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 you're not that big of a deal. Look at that. There's egg on your shirt. Get, get back yeah. in your dream. Get back in your dream. Well, uh, the young man in the wheelchair, what was his name? Will. Will, <laughs> when he's in the hallway with Freddy getting chased by the demonic looking wheelchair, Will becomes the the wizard master for a mm. moment and mm-hmm. zaps Freddy with some some very fancy animated blue lightning sparks and and that does little to to thwart him so yeah maybe maybe a an egg would uh flip a switch and make him send him running um i'm going to interject here and and this is kind of a kind of a, a lot of information so i i could provide the Yalom's 12 therapeutic factors in, in a group. <laughs> well, you don't need to. I mean, we're all familiar. If, 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 if you're curious, if you're curious, I think that the, the group experience can be a little mystical. Not, not that psychotherapy itself isn't, but you know, you go into a group and you're just like, what is this? What is, what am I trying to accomplish here? So I could go through these quickly, these 12 uh, factors. What's this guy's name? Gollum? No, Yalom. Yeah. And, uh, how, do you, how do you spell that? Y-O? Y-A-L-O-M. And what, what's he all about? Is he a famous uh, group therapy expert? He wrote the book of it. Okay. Yeah. Although there's many different ways to this. Doesn't, there's no like universal approach well, to this stuff. But before we maybe dive into all 12, am, am I right that my feeling about group therapy in a, in a psychiatric setting is like the, from, from what I understand is largely just through movies. Actually, <laughs> This movie um, in particular. This movie and, and <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest and stuff like that. Like I don't, I don't know if if group therapy sessions only take place in these kind of institutions or whether you know a, a bunch of sort of uh, unconfined individuals who are having psychiatric treatment can agree to meet at a certain. I guess stuff like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. That's that's free willing, right? Traditionally, one has the idea that it's done in a, an institutional setting, and partly that's because the clients are all accessible and they're already there. And so it's a little easier. I can't speak for everything, but I would say that the majority of group therapy is done on an inpatient setting, although there's an outpatient component. What does inpatient mean? So inpatient being that, yeah, I'm in an institution, I'm hospitalized for a certain period of time, like these people in the movie. And, and so then I can experience other people who are hospitalized in a group setting. Outpatient would be that I leave my house, drive someplace, and then go to an outpatient group, and I can connect with people that way. So, if, if we if we conceive of it as being an inpatient experience, am I right that one of the goals, at least, of group therapy is just to have everyone sort of be socialized a little bit? Like, is that a legitimate goal of the therapy session, or is there some? insight some therapeutic outcome that is really only achievable for each individual by confessing or examining whatever they need to examine under the gaze of x number of other individuals sitting in a circle you're hitting these things accurately but go ahead okay that was my big question is is it people in that kind of setting probably are not going to do as well if they just skulk in their rooms Mm mm-hmm you also save labor in terms of the number of therapists you might need by having a by having a group setting and then uh there's that whole again i'm just getting this from movies i don't have mm-hmm. any expert knowledge mm-hmm. but like people people are invited to self-disclose so there's almost like a religious 
element to it. Like you, you confess, so to speak, not your sins necessarily, but you, you're invited to share some of your deepest troubles uh, with other people who also have deep troubles and <laughs> thereby, thereby somehow, I don't know, get them off your chest or, yeah. Yeah. You, just, you, just a lot you, of questions. No, no, no. You hit, hit a lot of the high points here. There's a cathartic element to it as you're getting these things off your chest. There's a, there's a social element as you're both demonstrating things that might be socially inappropriate and people are correcting those things or mm. you see others doing things that are socially inappropriate and you correct those things. These are very difficult to shape in a individual type environment mm. because you're the only, if you're the therapist, you're the only person in the room. And so there's a, there's even an ethical consideration as to, well, if this is the way I would operate, am I going to shape this person and suggest what they're doing is socially inappropriate when maybe I'm doing things that are socially inappropriate? I, I'm not the universal person to then say, I deem this to be socially inappropriate because there's different cultures, there's different ways to operate that are quite dynamic. There's a, a learning component as you, it's like a psychoeducational component that you're kind of touching on. You also see others who are experiencing things that are similar to you. And so the, there's this mm -hmm. otherness that kind of evaporates to some extent where I see someone else who's having similar experiences. I'm not alone in this, not isolated in this. Lots of different components and there's no real perfect way of doing it. And there's no absolute sort of uh, approach that is universal. So the things that you mentioned, I think, are sufficient. Is there kind of a explicitly stated goal? Like we're, we're all doing this in order to what? Or is there not really a goal? Depending on the group, there are, some of them are very prescribed and you have kind of a written kind of process or written statement that's that's provided as psychoeducational or, or a goal of this particular group. And then you outline topics and prompt people. But other times it's more free. And you might go to a group because you already identify as a particular person who's suffering from a particular condition and the shared experience of each person contributing is 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 enough to propel the group on and you don't need that type of structure so there's mm. quite a bit of variance so that that's an element the psychological treatment angle that the previous two freddy movies didn't have well get get back to where we started here one's own history can haunt them and mm. freddy krueger is this history and they need to lay those histories to rest those bones before they those can fully bones. live their lives. Yeah. Those bones. Those bones. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You gotta, you gotta come to terms with your past and there's a generational angle though, to that past. These kids are only getting tormented because they're the children of parents who murdered Freddie and he's collecting their souls. There was that really cool scene where he, Freddie showed his chest and all the agonized faces of, the souls of children that he has gathered within him. It, it's no fault of these particular individual children. It's, it's maybe it's the Christian concept of generational guilt or something, but, mm. but um, the, the history is, is not uh, directly personalized. It's a, it's a generational historical haunt these these bones are older than just one life's <laughs> lifeline yeah, yeah I, I inherited this stigmata in a sense <laughs> <laughs> and 
and then I must battle it because my parents did some horrendous thing that I had no control over. My free will has been trampled upon because mm. uh, my dad went and burnt a man to death. What an asshole. Yeah. Well, you know, what do you think the dollhouse was all about? Kristen was paper macheing a dollhouse at the beginning of the movie and and at the end of the movie there's a lot of a lot of main characters died. I think everybody pretty much everybody died except for <laughs> Will. Will buries Nancy. Is that her name? Nancy? Yeah. And then Nancy gets killed in the dream and then the movie closes with Will snoozing away and he's got Nancy's Himalayan dream doll there. Which affords him some kind of serenity while sleeping and then he's got the dollhouse which was Kristen's paper mache product and then uh, a light flickers on in the in the top floor of the dollhouse and that's how the movie closes so what what do you think the dollhouse was all about dollhouse was a representation of the of nancy's original home for some reason freddie was killed at a power plant i don't know blocks away but the manifestation of the the razor glove manifests Freddy Krueger in cer certain ways, and, and that appears to be in the furnace of that house that Nancy lives and in. Is that house the house where Kristen currently lives with her with her mom? I don't think so. I really didn't see the homosexuality thing in Freddy Two. <laughs> yeah, so in part two, Jesse Walsh he moves into Nancy's old house and. Mm -hmm he has the experiences of Freddy Krueger because that's where he, you know, where, where the core of the glove, where the glove is. And yeah, in part three, it isn't clear if Patricia Arquette is living in the house that uh, Nancy lived in originally. I doubt it because although mm -hmm. she was kind of featured as the lead, all of them are being haunted equally. No way. They all live in the same house, you know? Yeah. Can I close with uh, a question? Yeah. Uh, yet another question. The, we've we've talked uh, several times about the final girl motif. Yeah. There is no final girl. I think in this movie, Nancy's killed. Uh, what about the nun? Is is the nun? <laughs> she's she's already Amanda Kruger, <laughs> Freddie's mom. She's already dead, but she's a character in the movie, nevertheless, and she's the one who solves. Freddy and and helps the protagonist to defeat him and and so on and so forth. Um, is is that riffing on the final girl motif in any way, or is, as you as you declared, is the final girl motif dead as of 1986 or whatever? <laughs> I didn't see that play out in this movie. The nun mm. would have to, if she was the final woman, would in a sense have to carry the plot line into the next movie mm -hmm. and be victorious in her extermination of the main although her advice set forth the defeating of Freddy Krueger she was more just um, a footnote as to what to do next she injected narration into the movie but um, mm -hmm. didn't really participate in any meaningful way well maybe the final nun motif is, is starting John oh wow yeah Nun fatal. Yeah. We, we, we got to coin a term here. I, I think that's our episode title. Freddy three. Freddy three. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street part three. 
do we feel like we we got a piece of this ball, or or are we foul tipping it? Are we striking it? Or you know, where are we at? Where are we at? I I uh, remain confident that we've hit now the third home run wow. in a row, mm-hmm. and very subjective. Um, well, you know, uh, it's my it's my baseball <laughs> fantasy, and I'll hit a home run if I want to. I think that like you hit the ball pretty hard, and mm-hmm. then way way back in the outfield. Freddy Krueger in his glove jumps oh. up and just grabs the ball right before it goes over the wall. That that seems odd that Freddy himself is playing in this, in this baseball metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he will, will not be uh, fully comprehended. He he's, <laughs> he won't allow it. Well, I'm. Uh, I mean, the 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 dollhouse light at the end teased the sequel, but Freddy has now been dispatched in lots of ways he's been he's been unbelieved in which <laughs> was supposed to have dispatched him and now he's been sprinkled with confiscated holy water which opened up all sorts of light beams in his chest and mm-hmm. and his bones have been buried in hallowed ground but uh I, he's also been cast out through love i mean <laughs> and he's been cast out through love so i mean i i know freddy four is not going to explain why he's still alive but <laughs> Um, one, one certainly got the sense that he was uh, dispatched. Okay, well, we can sleep well. 